Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. Things went from bad to worse for the Revolution this week as they came out of the bye week with a 1-0 loss at home to New York Red Bulls. It was a tough defeat as the difference was an unlucky own goal late in the game, but the Revolution's offense continues to disappoint. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today from the Bent Musket is Sam Minton. Sam, how's it going? Oh, going good. I wish we would be able to talk about a Revolution win because we haven't been able to do that for a while. But here we are. Uh, This team uh, seems to be very lucky uh, so far this season. Yeah, the the ball has not been bouncing their way, and it. I don't think that we've seen a win since the Pumas, the first leg of the Pumas game, and that seems like ages ago. So uh, certainly uh, waiting this long just for another loss is not the greatest feeling. But also joining us today, what does make ease the pain a little bit is coming back to the podcast. It's been his first time on for a while. Seth McComer, also of the Bent Musket, is joining us. Seth, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, really good. I'm happy to be a part of a show that I'm also a patron of. Uh, remember, folks, to uh, make sure you become a patron uh, of this show. Very well worth the money. Uh, and you, too, could one day be a guest on Revolution Recap. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you also probably should be in the uh, Revolution Media as well. I uh, should add that little caveat as well. But, uh, yeah, appreciate your support there, Seth. And uh, we should also plug you guys because you guys are uh, provide year-round coverage of the Revolution. If you don't follow The Bent Musket already, make sure you follow them on Twitter, at The Bent Musket. Uh, and also follow their work on www.thebentmusket.com. Uh, a lot of good content this week. Uh, I had a summary of the uh, um, uh, interview I did with Nico uh, Calabria last week. Um, I know Sam and Seth, you guys have some articles coming out this week. So a lot of good stuff from The Bent Musket. So make sure you're following them online. Uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, guys, uh, now the pleasantries are done, done let's uh, get into this mess of a game. Uh, Sam, what's your key takeaway from last night's loss? Uh, I, I would say overall, just one of the things that stood out to me was uh, the play of Brad Knight. I was really impressed with how he looked in that. He made some really great saves. Obviously, he faced some pressure. Obviously, he wasn't able to get the clean sheet, but we all know that goal was definitely not his fault. But I was really impressed with how he played. Obviously, Earl Edwards Jr. got the run of games uh, towards the start of the season. But now this seems like uh, Knighton's chance to show maybe he can take the starting job this season. Wouldn't surprise me to see him get a run of starts as we uh, go through these next few games. But I, I was really impressed with his play. thought he made some athletic uh, saves. thought he had some great long balls. I know when he connected with Justin Rennick, really impressed me. So I thought it was a really uh, quality performance uh, from Brad Knight, and especially, you know, hadn't, hadn't played in that long, got his first start of 2022. So definitely liked what I see in this you know, with the back line getting healthy, you want to have a, a goalkeeper who's able to stay hot, is able to make saves, able to win games. And I thought he was quite impressive uh, against New York Red Bulls. Yeah, I thought he did well. Uh, I thought it was about time that we saw Brad Knight in the net. Uh, you know, Earl Edwards Jr. had some really good moments. Uh, the biggest moment I thought was in the first leg against uh, Pumas where he made that really big save. Uh, that ultimately led to the 3-0 win in the first league of, of the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, but he's also been a little bit shaky. Um, and, and I think to bring in an experienced guy 
who knows the back line well, who can do some acrobatic stuff that we saw uh, this past weekend was necessary. You just get a little bit of experience, and a little bit of, of comfort back there. Um, and it made me actually wonder a little bit if Brad Knighton had started down in Mexico against uh, Pumas, would the result be a little bit different? Uh, I think, of course, Brad Knighton on Saturday benefited from having Andrew Farrell and, and um, Henry Kessler out there. Um, Farrell in particular, I think what we saw that he does really well is that he has recovery pace and he's also smart. Uh, if you go on on my Twitter, at uh, Sethman31, if you don't follow me, uh, there's a video that I, I took that really, in my opinion, highlighted the benefits of having Andrew Farrell on the field. Uh, the play starts when Josie Altador tries to play a square ball uh, to to uh, Legette, which, you know, in, in general, if you watch soccer, it's a very dangerous thing to do. You don't want to play square balls. And in that play, you saw exactly why, because if someone intercepts that ball, they're immediately starting to counter. And they did. And they played in the Red Bulls played direct in that situation. And it was off to the races. But because Andrew Farrell has that pace, he's able to catch up and try to force him on the outside. And uh, there are, you know, in that play, you could have said that um, the Red Bulls player could have squared the ball and tried to, to make it a little bit easier on himself as opposed to going to goal himself. But I'm not sure if the Red Bulls player saw that opportunity. And I also think that because Andrew Farrell is, you know, pretty close to him, he could potentially um, stop that square ball. So I think in, in other games, if we saw like an Omar Gonzalez out there, for example, that's very likely a goal because uh, I think we even saw that against Charlotte, a very similar play happen where it ends up being a goal because uh, the back line is not quick enough to have that recovery pace and to, to clean up those mistakes. But Andrew Farrell is so athletic and so smart. He's going to cover up those things and do well. And that's going to make uh, Brad Knighton's uh, job a little bit easier. Because in that play, for example, the Red Bulls player had a shot from a pretty poor angle uh, that Brad Knighton's able to push away and collect the save. Um, again, Brad Knight himself, made his own saves and, and kind of showed very, very well. But I think it's important to recognize that he's going to benefit from having uh, Farrell and Kessler out there, two very experienced center backs who know each other well. I was going to say one thing that it, it's I think we should highlight is how the team played with Andrew Farrell out there and without. And obviously Henry Kessler has been out too. But I think what has been lacking in that center back pairing of Omar Gonzalez and John Bell is a little bit of pace, a little bit of recovery. Uh, and Andrew Farrell does that pretty well. Uh, there are times he's beat, but he does a very good job of recovering. There's a very good He does a very good job of cutting down angles, and making it a little bit easier for the goalkeeper. So I think he, his presence was very important last night. Uh, but I, I, I know he was a, a part of that own goal, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I, I think the center backs returning is a very, very positive sign for the revolution, even if the result wasn't a very good positive sign. Uh, and I agree with everything you guys said about Brad Knighton. In my mind, I think Knighton is the backup, at least for the time being. Maybe he has a bad, a bad performance or two, but I think the Earl Edwards Jr. Uh, experiment for now has taken a back seat. Um, if you go to American soccer analysis and look at expected goals for goalkeepers. A lot of goals. I feel like, you know, um, Earl Edwards jr. Couldn't have done better on, but uh, overall he has a positive goals to expected goals differential, which is bad. The the more negative a number is the better. Uh, and through about 400 minutes of MLS play, Earl Edwards jr. Has a 0.84 uh, goal differential. So it, it's slightly below average really by this metric. Uh, he conceded eight goals on 17 shots. So not a great, you know, not not great numbers for for Earl Edwards Jr. And again, uh, you know, he he was left out to dry for a lot of these goals, uh, certainly. And I I, I don't want to rag on him too much, but you know, Brad Knighton, that was a really under the radar signing the Revolution made this off season. Uh, 
I think Brad Knighton could have been in a competition for a starting job somewhere else if he wanted to instead of coming back and backing up Matt Turner. But he came back on, a, on I think, a, I believe on another one-year deal. Um, and, and, you know, he played well last year in his six or seven games when Matt Turner was out. He made team of the week down in Philadelphia. And last night, seems like he didn't miss a beat. Seems like he's completely past that concussion. So uh, Brad Knighton, I think, really a, a bright spot for the Revs. So, uh, Seth, I don't think we've gotten to your key takeaway. What's your key to- takeaway from last night? Yeah, I think last year we saw that the Revolution uh, set a record for most one-goal wins uh, in an MLS season. And I think we're seeing some of those results go the opposite way this year. Um, Last year, I think we would probably all agree that the team overperformed at times, that the roster wasn't as good as a 73-point season, um, what they actually achieved in that situation. And I think that Bruce Arena towards the end of the season hinted at that same idea, saying that there's times that they overperformed. I think that we're seeing that the team um, kind of show themselves a little bit here where on Saturday, that's a game that could have gone the other way, right? I mean, I thought LeJet had two very, very good opportunities that were pushed away, uh, that were saved, that you know could have ended up in the back of net on a different night, but they didn't. And in the end, the Revs lost because of a weird clearance, of a really fluky goal that doesn't happen very much Um you know, maybe sometimes it happens in MLS, but you don't really expect that to happen too, too often uh, overall. So I, I think that you see that. You see, like, the RSL game, you know, go the opposite way. Those are, are oddities, in my opinion, that go maybe a different situation um, in 2021. So this team needs to get healthy. This team needs to get kind of some of their luck back. They need to get some of their mojo back. Um, because I think a lot of the re- those one goal results that we saw last year are now going the opposite direction and, and it doesn't feel very good for the revolution. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree. And I believe Bruce Arena even said it himself uh, at some point last season where he said this roster might be uh, performing a little better than they actually are. And I, I believe Matt Doyle in his com- uh, column that he puts out every week, he actually you know touched upon that as well. So it definitely stood out, you know, last season, you would you would probably see the Revs be able to somehow find a goal, whether it be Tejon Buchanan or Carlos Hill, Gustavo Go or Adam Buxa. This would be the game where you, they're able to find a way to win. They're able to escape with a win, but they get their three points, and that's all that really matters. Now we're looking at a three-game uh, domestic losing streak, and they're heading down to uh, Fort Lauderdale as the 12th-ranked team in the Eastern Conference. So it's definitely quite the change in a rather quick pace of time, just how far this team has come. Obviously, you have the loss of a guy like Tejan Buchanan, but the team has really kind of kind of changed in that aspect where they were stealing games. Now they're not getting that same luck that they had last year. Yeah, and one other thing, too, I'll add is that it seems like last year, you know, they had times where they missed people from international break or from injury. Carlos Hill was out uh, with his... Uh, a heel injury. Matt Turner had international duty. Um, I feel like Bo missed some time last year as well. Um, you know, there was a lot of moments where the team still missed players. Tejan Buchanan missed some games uh, when, when he was off international duty. So um, th- there was no real bumps in the road when they missed one or two players. Even when the the Revs were missing one or two players, it, it seemed like they were still able to kind of carry on and carry that momentum. Uh, whereas now it seems like they're lagging a little bit and they do miss Matt Turner and they do miss Gustavo Bo. Uh, and, and, you know, I know that really the only major loss from this team last year was 
compared to last year's team is Tejan Buchanan. So I think on paper, you know, they can overcome the loss of Tejan Buchanan, but it, it feels like the injuries and the people that are missing so much, it's really hard for the Revs to miss Tejan Buchanan and Gustavo Bo and Matt Turner. Uh, and it feels like it's kind of building and building and building. So, um, and that kind of leads to my takeaway, which is that I think this depth on this team has been very disappointing so far. And I know it's, you know, I, I don't want to rag on um, the, the moves that have been made this offseason. I think Sebastian Jet has been fine. But Josie Altador has come in. He's on basically a max TAM deal. Um, I know he's still working his way up to full fitness, but he's brought in to really make a difference. And I feel like Josie Altador didn't have a great performance yesterday. Maybe he's still trying to work his way into the squad. But I feel like this is games where... You know, you're, you're paying for a big performance uh, and you're paying for him to come in uh, and be the spark off the bench offensively. Uh, and they're really, you know, not a lot of offense yesterday in this game. Um, 11 total shots from the Revs, even though they had 66% ball possession. They had 0.92 expected goals, according to Foot Mob. Uh, they had only five shots on target. Four of those were blocked. So just not a lot of amazing chances from the revolution yesterday and this team I, again i know they're missing gustavo bow they only had adam buxter for 45 minutes they only had josie altador for 45 minutes but this lineup still should be producing offense at a better clip than the, that they are especially at home against what i consider to be an inferior opponent so the moves that the revs have made this offseason haven't really paid off and even though the revs are missing those players even though they're missing gustavo bow and matt turner i feel like the depth on this team should be strong enough to overcome it and it's just not doing it this year so uh sam any any thoughts on the the depth pieces on this team uh not living up to their billing yeah i would definitely add too when you look at the depth of pieces i think players like wilfrey captoon and arnold tristison are, are involved in that as well obviously it, it takes some time to adjust to mls so i think we all understand that uh, but still, Wilfred Captain uh, is someone who's getting paid a, a quite a high salary, and he's, e- he's either sitting on the bench or you know coming off the bench occasionally. So definitely those moves, a lot of the international moves uh, when it's come to Bruce Arena have definitely left a bit more to be desired. You have guys like uh, Bootner, you have guys like Christian Mafla who come in, you, you kind of have some high expectations for them. You expect them to be starters week in and week out. And they don't exactly uh, end up, you know, filling that role. And I think if you did have a guy like Arnold Tristison or Wilfred Captain coming in and playing valuable minutes and being a real asset to the team, you know, that, that would change a lot of things. You know, maybe you have Tommy Mapp come off the bench. He can add some spark there or just overall in terms of formations or whatever it may be. So I definitely do agree, especially it seems like in the midfield, I, I would say also too, now that Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler is back, it's probably not as big as an issue as it was, but there's some there might be some death issues at center back as well too. So it, it is something to keep an eye on. Obviously, with rumors about Adam Bucha possibly being uh, transferred, you have Matt Turner who will be transferred in the summer. The summer transfer window could be very interesting and very vital for this Newman Revolution squad. Yeah, I probably should have said the last two off seasons because certainly Tristison and Captoom, you know, they were expected to be maybe starters and impact players last year. You expect them to at least contribute as depth pieces this year. Uh, and yesterday off the bench, you had Adam Buxa, who, you know, obviously came in for Josie Altador. He's usually typically a starter. Botang, who is a good depth piece, really the only reliable depth piece there is, in my opinion. Massiel kind of came in. He kind of helped stabilize the midfield a little bit. But outside of that, the, the rest of that bench is really not players you want to see in the game right now and Tristison Captoom uh you know Tristan I thought played fine in his first few performances but it seems like he's not really in um 
uh, Bruce Arena's trust tree. And there's rumors, too, that Tristison might be looking to move back to Sweden when his contract expires. So maybe uh, he might be a little checked out. Who, who knows? But uh, Captoom certainly is disappointing. And then you have De La Garza, Omar Gonzalez, Spalding on the bench yesterday, too. All kind of defenders you wouldn't really put in a game where you need a goal. So, uh, Seth, any thoughts here on uh, the depth pieces of this team uh, and the underperformance? Yeah, I, I agree that my biggest issue are with Arnar Tristison and uh, Captoon. Uh, th- those are big name players that were supposed to come in or big pieces that were supposed to come in. Um, Tristison, w- you guys have mentioned it before, the idea that he gets a lot of cards. Um, he puts himself in bad situations by getting early cards. and You have to sub him early on uh, in the game. That's difficult uh, for, for a coach to have to do in terms of game management. And Captoon's really not even sniffing the field at this point. Those are my big concerns. Uh, Josie Altidore, I mean, I think that he's had a goal and he has an assist. And I think that those are, are okay numbers for someone who's coming off the bench and, and trying to provide some sort of a spark. Um, Omar Gonzalez, I thought he, he, he had some okay moments uh, when he was supposed to step in for Henry Kessler at the beginning of the year. Um, I think that him being a starting setting back week in and week out is, is not a good idea, especially if he's starting along John Bell. I don't think those two worked well together. But I think if he's a spot guy – next to a, an Andrew Farrell or a Henry Kessler, then maybe he does okay in, in, in that role. But I think he's been asked to play uh, too many minutes early in the season, in my opinion. Um, I think this team was built with the idea of trying to win CCL. Uh, you have, you know, Turner staying for the first half of the season. Maybe they're thinking about let's get some points in order to put ourselves in a good position for the second half of the season in terms of league play. But in my opinion, they do that because they want to win CCL. And if you want to win CCL, you may be bringing some of those experienced guys to give you some spot, spot uh, starts. But as opposed to you know giving you those spot starts, all of a sudden they're playing major minutes. You know, like Altador is is you know starting this past game because you know the two strikers are out. Uh, Omar is starting in the the Champions League uh, because Andrew Farrell and Kessler are out. Those are very high profile moments for those guys to step in. And I'm not sure they're really ready to, they're really brought in to, to play those types of role. So I think it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult for those individuals because of how many injuries happened at the same time. So you're really involving those players much more. Uh, I also agree with Sam where I I think that that summer transfer window is going to be really important to see what happens and and who this team brings in Um, because you need something. I, I think that Tommy McNamara has started every league game this year and, and he's a fine player. He's a, he's a skilled player. He, he fits a role. He can do some good things on the field, but he's not as dynamic as some, as a player that you need on that field as part of that midfield diamond. Uh, so I'd like to see someone come in there. Um, maybe bring in another attacker that you can trust off the bench. Uh, so I think that there's improvements to be made and, and it's going to be pretty important to see what this team does in the summer transfer window. And it, it's going to be interesting too, if the, the Revs lose Adam Buxa, who, you know, I, I think some people, I think Sean Donahue was one of the people that also threw out the idea that maybe with Poland going to the world cup, does he want to kind of disrupt his form? Does he want to kind of change teams in the summer window or does he just stay in New England where he's been playing in form and he's raised his profile? Um, it seems like he's kind of played his way into the Polish national team. So does he need to make a move this summer? Uh, but 
If he does, uh, then the Revs have a lot of questions. Can you trust Josie Altador to take over as the full-time starter? Do you need to replace, uh, you know, Buxo with another designated player striker? Do you use a designated player strike, uh, designated player spot somewhere else? Um, there's a, a ton of questions to go along with this summer window in terms of who's going out and who's coming in. So, um, yeah, a lot going on, and it's going to be a very, very important transfer window for Bruce because, to be quite honest with you, I, I feel like uh, we can kind of grade the 2020 class uh, or sorry, the 2021 uh, offseason a bust, and then the 2022 offseason, um, I'm not ready to call it a bust, but it's not looking great so far. Uh, and then, of course, he didn't use, do anything in the summer transfer window last year, too. So um, Bruce's magic touch has seemed to have worn off for the time being. Um, but I do want to ask you guys, too, are, are, we got a question two weeks ago uh, after the Charlotte loss about if it's time to hit the panic button. I'm not hitting the panic button, but I'm kind of keeping an eye on where it is. I still think it's really early in the season. We're five games five games into the MLS season. Um, Sam, where are you with the panic button? You know, where are you on the panic meter on a scale of one to ten? Because right now, coming into the season, I thought these guys were MLS Cup, maybe not favorites, but they were certainly contenders. Right now, I'm backing off a little bit. I'm still expecting a high playoff spot, but these guys don't seem to be the juggernaut that I thought they were. Um, what are your thoughts, Sam? And, and how much are you taking away from these first five games? Yeah, I mean, you obviously there is some stuff to take away for me. You know, I have that hand kind of, kind of hovering. If you know, putting a number to it, probably around a four or five. But I do think, obviously, you just got Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell back. It was, it was their first game. They they were able to you know play for a significant amount of time. But I think you still have to see them get acclimated and continue to you know gain fitness after you know dealing with those injuries. Uh, but there are some concerning signs, whether it be you know, how the back line performed. I thought they looked a lot better uh, against the Red Bulls. But obviously, you know, now it, it's on the other hand where you were struggling with the back line with guys like Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler out. Now that they're back, you're struggling to score goals in the sense that Sebastian Legette was able to get some good chances. Uh, we saw DeWan Jones uh, take some shots as well, too. But you're just not finishing. You're just not making that final play. Or you're just not being able to get the ball in the net, like as simple as that, because there was definitely some times in that New York Red Bulls game where New England was putting a lot of pressure on New York, but they were just unable to get that goal. And I think that's really important. I think that's definitely something that can just easily change, you know, having a player like Gustavo Boa too, that's a big factor. Uh, But, you know, there's, there's reason to be worried, especially when you're 12th in the Eastern conference, obviously, there's high expectations with this team after last year. And really, MLS Cup getting to, you know, a final is something that this team should be doing. You still you still have the talent. And I think if you were to have a disappointing season, if the ship isn't able to be righted, which uh, it definitely can be, but God forbid it isn't righted, you know, fans would be really disappointed. So I think it's something to keep an eye on, but like Bruce always says, it is very early in the season. There's lots of soccer to be played. And it's more about how you finish compared to how you start. So don't panic just yet, but uh, keep that panic button a, a little close by. Mm-hmm. De- definitely troubleshoot it in case you need to uh, break the glass in the next uh, month or two. Uh, Seth, where are you on the panic scale between 1 to 10? Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm a, a 2 or a 3. Uh, and the reason why is is because um, this is Bruce Arena, and I think that we we have to trust Bruce, right? I mean, when he took over uh, the 
for the revolution uh, after Brad Frito was, was fired in 2019, the Revs had only won twice in their first 12 games. And everyone's thinking, Bruce Arena's washed up. Um, this team is not good enough. The roster's not good enough. It's going to take a while for them to put everything together. And Bruce Arena gets them to the playoffs, right? You know, last year we were, we were sitting there saying like, oh, Bruce Arena can't put um, the, his strikers together. You know, Gustavo Bo is, is sometimes starting, but Adam Buxa is sometimes starting. And they switch to a diamond and, and they start making a run um, throughout the year and they end up putting together some very, very solid results. I think you have to trust Bruce Arena. Um, I think that he's going to try his best to, to put together a winning squad. Um, you know, Claudio Reyna was on the call up talking about Bruce Arena being someone who hates to lose. No one, no one hates to lose more than Bruce Arena. And I'm sure right now the fact that this streak has gone on for, for three league games is really killing him. And, and he said in the post-game uh, press conference – that's kind of exciting to think about how we put this team together and get them working together and, and start to put together the results because things just haven't been going their way. Um, and, and you get people healthy. You start to think about different strategies, different formations. Maybe you think about that summer transfer window and maybe this team gets it together for the second half of the season because, as Sam said, that's the important thing here, that it, as long as you get things right by the end of the season, you can make a run at that MLS Cup. And we saw that when, when Carlos Hill had that long-term injury, right? And he came back right before the playoffs and everyone's like, ah, Carlos Hill, can, can he do it? He was injured for so long. Uh, and all of a sudden they're, they're starting to threaten, even though they were like very, very bottom of the, the table and, and barely snuck into the playoffs, they're able to make that run and, and make people believe. Um, so I, I, I'm not really there yet because you have Bruce Arena, you have Carlos Hill, the reigning MVP. Um, you have Adam Buxa right now and, and yeah, he might leave in the summer, but we know how good of a player he has become, like a really true number nine in this league. Uh, Dewan Jones is excellent. You have a, a center backs that are good. Um, I, I think the disappointing thing right now for me is, is CCL. Like, I think that this team really was built with the idea that they could win CCL, that you bring in a Josie Eltador who has international experience. You bring in Omar Gonzalez that has international experience, and, and you hope that they can kind of provide a little something in those moments, not in the starting lineup, but like, you know, providing experience and help and, and to, to kind of work and, and play some minutes um, if you need it in the, the dying moments of the game. And unfortunately, uh, they did not do well there because of the injuries. And now all of a sudden you're, you're really trying to think, uh, how do you make this whole season work? Because I think it's going to be difficult when you lose Tejon Buchanan last year. You're definitely losing Matt Turner unless something, unless some sort of loan back happens, what I don't foresee happening. Uh, Adam Buxa is potentially going to leave. Um, that's a lot of turnover to have to deal with in a market that's probably a little bit difficult because of the World Cup coming up and being in November. So it's a pretty uncertain year when you think about like the, the how, how to put together a team in league play. But I think that Bruce Arena is the type of guy to to do that. Um, he he's he's a smart guy. He has contacts. He he knows how to to talk to uh, um, the upper management and try to get some guys in there. Uh, so I'm not there yet because it is Bruce Arena, um, and, I, and I think that he's going to try to tinker and, and get things right. Um, so I'm not quite there yet. Let's, let's take a look at it, see how the rest of the season goes, especially when the guys get healthy. And again, really t keep our eyes on that summer transfer window and see what happens. If, if they go again without really adding many pieces, um, then yeah, I'm, I'm definitely talking about that panic button. So, Seth, quick question. Is your confidence in Bruce any lower because of the last few transfer windows? Because I just mentioned 
you know, it's been a while since we've had a real home run acquisition. Um, is there any, uh, you know, lesser confidence in Bruce over the last few uh, transfer windows? Yeah, I, I think that that's where like Bruce, the GM, is is making life a little bit harder for Bruce, the coach, potentially. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the the scouting that's happening. You know, remember because of COVID, at one point it was more difficult to go out there and scout players, um, or if it's you know if it's him not maybe able to identify the right pieces, if he's finding guys but he's not able to get the the deals over the end line. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it is because we're not privy to those things. Uh, but yeah, like I said. If the summer transfer window comes up and they they aren't bringing in a big player who who's knocks it out of the park and maybe even like a, a well known player as opposed to you know Bo and Buxa who really want established players maybe this is someone who actually is a big name player who comes in and does well I'm not saying I know anything at all then I become you know concerned if if we go and have a quiet offseason. Uh, um, summer transfer window again I think the other thing to look at is that Bruce Arena signed an extension. Uh, before this season and remember last year there was rumors that he might retire if the Revs won MLS Cup so does him signing the extension kind of recognize that this might be a difficult year or is he just saying hey I found that passion again like I I love to coach I want to be here as long as possible maybe that that contract allows him to step aside anytime he feels like it's ready but it's it's more comfortable to coach when you have uh, you know, a contract that there and you're, you're getting paid the money. I just think that um, this year is going to be, was probably always going to be difficult because you lost Tejan Buchanan, who was a, a game breaker uh, and he himself didn't have a large salary. And Matt Turner is also an elite player. Um, that's going to be hard to, to replace. Uh, you could definitely say they should have been preparing a little bit ahead of time and started bringing in pieces to see what happens. Uh, I think that that's a fair criticism, but I just think that this season uh, was always going to be a little bit difficult because of the the amount of players that you were going to be losing. So yeah, I, you kind of hit on something that just, which is why my concern meter, if I was to kind of give it a number, I'd probably put it around six. And that's because I assumed the first half of the season, the Revs would really kind of take charge. And I know that that they're, you know, they're losing Matt Turner in the summer, and I, I I'm worried what the team will look like when that's over. And we talked about how Brad Knight looked good today. We don't know if they're going to bring in another keeper. You know, there, there are ways to kind of replace Matt Turner, but you are losing the best goalkeeper in MLS. Um, arguably, I guess, but in my opinion, he's the best goalkeeper in MLS. You're losing a national team keeper. Um, so in my mind, I assumed the Revs would want to really get out to a good lead and kind of establish their footing up in the standings, and it's gone the opposite way. So, you know, I'm not panicked in the sense that I'm worried the Revs will miss the playoffs, but I'm worried the Revs might end up with a four or five seed over fluke plays and, you know, really just not generating offense. I feel like when you, even if you're missing Bo, and even if you don't have Tejan Buchanan, you know, a lineup with Josie Altador, Carlos Heel, and Sebastian Legette should figure it out. Uh, and, and I know they were slowed down. I know the Red Bulls kind of had some cheap tactics there with their fouls, but, um, you know, last night's performance coming out of a bye week really was disheartening to me. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a little more concerned than you guys, but it is early in the season. We should give Bruce time to figure it out. The Revs started last year with a 2-2 draw in Chicago, which was a pretty bad result, uh, all things considered. So, um, yeah, you know, th there certainly is time to be given here. It is only five games through the season, but uh, it'll be interesting. We talked about the good. We talked about the bad. I want to kind of really just touch up on the ugly, because I don't know if there's a ton to say, but we should touch on that own goal. Red Bulls send in a cross late in the game from the right side. Andrew Farrell goes to clear. Kicks it right off of Matt Polster and the ball directs, you know, ping pongs right off 
into the goal. Um, Seth, is there any blame on that play, or is that just a fluky play that really there's nothing you can do about it? Yeah, it feels pretty fluky. I mean, I think you could say Andrew Farrell, maybe he he does it a little bit better with it, but I mean, I don't know if he expects Matt Polster to be right there. And um, uh, in my opinion, it's completely fluky. Uh, I don't know how often that that happens in MLS. And we see some pretty strange things happen in MLS. If you follow MLS IST, you see some pretty funny plays sometimes from Pablo Maurer's Twitter feed. Uh, I, I don't really put much, I, I don't think it's anything you correct. You know, I don't think you sit out there and, and talk about it on the training field. It's just, it's just a situation that's unfortunate. Um, and that's how that's like, again, that goes back to those one zero results or those two, one results last year. Um, that's a fluky loss as opposed to a win that could have happened. If you put another one of those good chances in the back of the net, it just goes, it just goes the wrong way for the revs. And, and that's unfortunate when they really needed a win to, to break the slump. It reminded me of the own goal last year against Columbus, where Andrew Farrell was kind of running to catch up with a guy in the ball accidentally deflects off his head and goes in the net. Um, you know, really unlucky that you can't, you know, you can't teach anything. It's not really anything to do with tactics. Um, really, really unlucky. And the Revs, I don't think they just, I think Bruce Arena said it best. He said, you know, I don't think we necessarily deserve to win, but I don't think we deserve to lose. Uh, and it's a real shame that they ended up losing on that own goal. It's a tough result to take. And as I say, I think a lot of people will look back on the own goal as the highlight on that game. But uh, I think a lot more of the blame uh, goes to the offensive side of the ball and the inability to generate chances. So uh, well, before we get to some listener questions, though, I want to take a minute and talk to you about our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have a lot of United States men's national team merch, so ahead of the World Cup later this fall, make sure you go check out Galasso Kits and get something new and fresh ahead of the World Cup this fall. Uh, and if you want to support Adam Buxa, there's some Poland stuff up there too if you want to support Tejan Buchanan go get some Canada merch too and if you're kind of weird and you want to root for Mexico for whatever reason I don't know there's no judgment here but they have a ton of Mexico stuff as well any country that's in the World Cup they have it so go make sure you go check out their merch at galassokits.com for their full selection and make sure you're following them on Twitter at galassokits and on Instagram galassokits uh, same same tw- uh, handle at galassokits uh, for updates on their new inventory there's new updates every single week for their inventory so make sure you are following them so you get the updates and you can be the first in line to buy their merch and when you find something you like please use promo code revs recap to save 15 percent off your order that is promo code revs recap at galassokits.com for 15 percent off your order links and codes are in the show note guys want to head over to some listener questions let's do this please all right well hey let's start where I, i feel like this is something that at least bruce arena hits on every loss refereeing uh, Traeger wants to say, please discuss refereeing the league. It's not just one game or one ref. This is a problem with pro referees as a whole. No league will ever be considered a top league without proper officiating that doesn't distract from the intended product on the field. Last night's referee got a lot of heat. The The Red Bulls did get a red card eventually. I believe it was Frankie Amaya uh, got a red card, and the refs still didn't uh, capitalize uh, up a man late in the game. Uh, but a lot of criticism in terms of inconsistent calls. Bruce Arena wasn't happy with them. Uh, Sam, what were your thoughts on the refereeing last night? And is this a widespread problem in MLS? I mean, I'm not ready to say that there's some massive, humongous problem in that sense. I, I won't go that far, but I will say that it's not even just the Bruce Arena. I was lucky enough, a uh, sister site of ours, uh, 
uh, once upon a Metro there at managing editor, Ben Cork was down in the press box to cover the game. And he was actually talking to me just about how direct uh, Struber, uh, the head coach of uh, New York Red Bulls, is when it comes to criticizing referees. He's gone as far as to say it's a, week, a league-wide problem. It's a major issue. And yet he does get fined. And then we've obviously seen Bruce get fined. But it was definitely just – it seemed like the ref – obviously the main thing you ask of a referee is to be very consistent. Just call the game consistently – might not agree of a call, but if you call it consistently, at least there's that. That definitely wasn't the case in this game. There was many calls, whether it be ticky-tacky calls getting called or people getting drilled into boards and somehow getting a talking to, and that's it. Uh, so it definitely wasn't the best officiated game. I, I will say that the second yellow that Adam Butsa did get was probably well-deserved. Uh, you can see that he kind of, you know, kicks out and, you know, uh, connect with uh, the Red Bulls player so I wouldn't exactly say that was a bad call but overall when you look at the game it, it wasn't refereed well the game kind of lost control in a sense and if you're not being consistent and as a referee you're also kind of losing control of the game you're not exactly doing your job correctly but I, w- I won't say it's a widespread issue there's definitely some referees who are very capable of doing their jobs uh, but Saturday night was not a good performance from the referee. Yeah, I would just talk about the the red card with Adam uh, Buxa getting the second yellow there. I thought Sam, uh, I think it was Samuels, I believe that was the same name, the Red Bulls player. But I thought that he deserved a card as well. Uh, he he seemed to swing his elbow back, and he's not looking at Adam Buxa. But I think that when you have your elbow cocked and you, and you put it that way, you're obviously aiming for for someone's head. Uh, so I, I thought that you know a moment like that that leads to Buxa kicking out, which it doesn't doesn't excuse his action he still deserves a yellow card in that moment i think that there, there's a level of consistency there like if you're gonna call one person for violent conduct you have to call the other one whether you give that player a red card or, or you just give him a yellow card i think it's important to recognize that there was both um heart, unsporting behavior in that moment right there i think the other thing is for me is that the rebels came in there ready to disrupt play and they're fouling left or right. They ended up on the night with 23 fouls called versus 13 for the Revolution. And that's just not good soccer. And I think that, you know, when you think about where these fouls were, they're not always fouls done in dangerous spots. Like I remember a couple of times, you know, the Revs, um, the, the Red Bulls lose the ball while attacking. So they're in the Revs defensive third. The Red Bulls lose the ball. And then the Red Bulls player immediately fouls. A Revs player. So that's not a really egregious foul because it's happening so deep in the Revolution's um, play. So they're not really even beginning the attacking phase that much. But it's still one that's disrupting play. It's allowing the, the Red Bulls to get back. And I think eventually you need to give more yellow cards for that to recognize, okay, yeah, like it's not egregious. It's not something that that's really dangerous or really stops uh, an attacking moment. But it's, it's ruining the, the play of soccer and it's giving the Red Bulls an advantage and you need to start giving out um, yellow cards and, and protecting a guy like Carlos Hill. Uh, you know, in the end, he, he was fouled four times according to MLS.com's official stats. Uh, I think he could have given out more yellow cards and he's the reigning MVP. Last night, I believe he only had two key passes. Uh, I believe also his passing percentages were lower and a player like him who is so elite um, – if you're going to foul him and you're not going to uh, give him the calls, 
then it's going to disrupt his play. And, and as a whole, it's going to disrupt how the, the revolution function. So I think you have to, to look at players like that and, and recognize that like that player is being targeted more than any other player and be willing to use that whistle a little bit quicker. Uh, I think the last thing here is that, you know, Bruce Arena said it, that the refereeing w- was part of it, you know, but like the refs had a chance to win that game. They have to figure out ways to, to play around it. But I think that it's unfair to require them to, to constantly have to overcompensate and, and play around it. Uh, I think that, that the referees have to be, you know, a, a little bit better when they use the whistle and, and find those, uh, find more consistency and, and protect some of those big players. Wish we had Jake on for his uh, refereeing take. I know he's the refereeing expert, uh, but yeah, it seems like we have a good handful of games where we're talking about the referee and normally a, a good referee, you don't know who it was. Uh, you don't know anything about him. Uh, and uh, there, there were definitely some bad moments I felt yesterday. I don't think it was the worst referee game I'd ever seen. Uh, and I think Bruce Arena put it very well where it was a factor, but I don't think it decided the outcome of the game. So um, now in terms of MLS referees, um, yeah, there's always room for improvement, but I feel like it's always been that way too. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's more a matter of certain referees probably just uh, are not the top quality that we expect. Uh, so, uh, and, and you mentioned Carlos Hill last night. Uh, he did have two key passes, which is very, very low for him. He had one shot. I don't believe it was on target either. Uh, but his uh, pass percentage was 74%. He was 53 for 72. He did have 100 touches, uh, but uh, yeah, not not a very impactful night from uh, that, that we normally expect uh, from Carlos Hill. So, uh, our next question here from David Sabian. Uh, he says, are the revs as bad as their record indicates? If not, when is a good time to judge? I believe we kind of touched on this already saying that, uh, you know, a lot of their luck is going the wrong way. So I, I think we kind of all agree that their record is not as bad as it indicates. Um, but he also says that the revs are going to get worse. Is this a team in danger of not making the playoffs? Expectations should be lowered, right? So I'll kind of do a two-part question here and Sam, I'll go to you first. When is a good time to judge if the Revs are a bad team? Uh, and are your expectations lowered? And, and do you think this team is in danger of not making the playoffs? Yeah, I'll actually start with the second part of your question. I think playoffs should definitely still be something that is the goal. I would say even higher, really. Um, if you still have players like Carlos Hill, Gustavo Bo, uh, we'll say Adam Bucha, you know, you should be one of a team that can make its way to uh, the MLS Cup Finals. So, definitely think that making the playoffs should definitely be something that happens this isn't a team that should be missing the playoffs and they should be able to hopefully compete hopefully uh not play one game and uh get knocked out hopefully make a little bit of a run make some noise and possibly get to that mls cup final and i i think it's a really interesting question in terms of well when can we determine if this team is really this bad or not because there obviously are those injuries uh Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell came back, but you have a guy like Gustavo Boa obviously running out Josie Altidore and Justin Rennix isn't exactly ideal or what you want. Uh, so I, I think you you have to wait and see in terms of those injuries. Instantly, what comes out to me is probably maybe a month or a month or two from now, kind of getting a real picture of what this team could look like. Maybe you know, uh, I believe Bruce Arena told uh, Zolak and Bertrand that they expect Turner to possibly be ready for games in May. So that around that timeline, if you're getting Matt Turner in that, you're obviously going to see some improved play just with how great of a goalkeeper he is. So I think probably a month or two, if you start seeing this team continue to struggle, continue to lose games, 
obviously, I, I wouldn't say a game against Miami is a must win, but you obviously want them to win that game. But I still don't think you can press the panic button so early in the season. I, I think kind of a month or two out, if you're still seeing this team perform in, at, a, at a quite a low level or just not having luck go their way, that's when it becomes concerning. And that's when you start to think, can they make the playoffs or is this going to be almost a disaster of a season? Uh, Seth, when are you going to start to worry about this team if this is a bad team? And have your expectations been lowered so far? Yeah, I think it just depends on what your expectations were. Like, I, I never had the expectation that they were going to win another supporter shield or that they were going to have 73 points this year. I just think that last year was an anomaly. Um, the team overperformed. Um, they were not making as many trips out west. Um, they did a good job to, to capture that record and to cr- capture the supporter shield. But I never thought that was going to be something that was going to be able to be replicated this year. Uh, Again, my disappointment was with the Champions League. Uh, I think that that was something that was potentially winnable. Um, When you think about, you know, especially when they did the first leg, having the 3-0 and and if people are healthy, then all of a sudden maybe we're looking at something different. Bruce Arena mentioned that it's very difficult for teams to compete in both the Champions League and MLS. And you see that with um, New York City FC. the Sounders being an anomaly, but you know how much depth they have and how they build their squad. Uh, and you could argue that the Revolution should be building their squad their same way. Uh, but I think it's very difficult for teams to, to balance those types of things. So when am I going to start thinking about if this truly is a bad team? It's going to be that summer transfer window. Because I think that summer transfer window has the, the, the possibility of transforming this team. Um, you know you're going to have a new goalkeeper. Besides, that, that's, it's not going to be Matt, Matt Turner. It could be um, someone coming in, and we've heard rumors of uh, a Serbian international one cap uh, coming in, uh, Petrovic. I believe we're going to talk about him later on. It, it believes that he's going to come over and sign a three-year deal if, if reports coming from his club website are to be true, which I imagine if it's coming from the club website, it's true. Um, is he going to be a starter? Is it going to be Brad Knighton? We have rumors of Adam Buxa potentially leaving. If he leaves, like, could you imagine if this team, you know, Adam Buxa leaves and they bring in a, a world-class goal scorer? I'm not saying that, that Buxa is bad, but what if they bring in this, this large name who's like a Robbie Keane type of figure? Uh, does that person provide an equal amount or maybe even more types of goals? Or maybe he doesn't because it's, it's very difficult to, to – come to MLS and translate, um, you know, do they bring in someone to play on the left-hand side instead of Tommy McNamara? You know, what is, what does that player look like? Again, if is it a world-class player who really changed the way this team plays uh, to me, I'm not, I'm not really going to hit the panic button yet. I'm not really going to decide if this team is, is good yet until we see the summer transfer window. I will say like, I will say this, and I think that maybe like some people are like, wait, this guy's a pest, uh, really, really optimist right now. I will say this, they're not a good team right now. You know, like this, when I turn on the revolution right now, I don't know how the game will go. Last year, when I turned on the revolution, I was like, they're probably going to win. They're probably going to tie. They, even when they went down a goal, it's like, ah, they, they got it. They'll figure it out. Right now, I feel like if they go down a goal, I just don't know if they have it in them. So right now, I, I'm not high on this team. Right now, I'm not really uh, feeling that they're going to to win an MLS Cup or win a trophy this year. But I think that with the amount of injuries this team has and the possibility to do something in the the summer transfer window, and I think that, Greg, you'd be like, nah, man, there's there's no track record right now that they're going to do something big in the summer transfer window. But I think if you have Bruce Arena there, a guy who wants to win, he's not not trying to 
uh, think about this team, uh, like a five-year plan for this team. He wants to try to bring guys in to win as soon as possible. And you could definitely argue the last couple uh, transfer windows, they haven't been good enough. But I think that he's going to have some sort of vision for uh, the summer transfer window. And if it doesn't come to fruition, then, then yeah, I'm, I am really concerned about what this team's going to be. I do want to touch about a comment here, and I think we can – I feel like I've touched on this a little bit with my complaints about the offensive struggles, and I think he – this is a listener question that I is kind of – I don't know, it reflects my thoughts, but uh, oh, Dragon Slay on Discord says, one shot on goal for almost the entire game. Uh, I think he means that there are a few more shots on goal towards the end of the game, but not, not a lot of big chances. Either way, uh, it's not like we don't have the talent up front. I'm starting to turn on Bruce. Am I crazy? What am I missing? Uh, and there are some people starting to turn on Bruce, but ultimately this offense is struggling, um, and I, I can't explain why. Can either of you explain uh, w- what's going on with this offense and, and why it's just non-existent lately? Is there any real excuse here? Yeah, can I jump in on this one? Yeah, so I, I think part of the thing that you see here is that with Tejon Buchanan, he was a game-breaker who flared out wide, and he's going to provide some width on that right-hand side. And that's going to draw attention to allow someone like Carlos Hill to operate and, and Gustavo Bo to operate. Now you're playing uh, a little bit more narrow. So you have to get those rotations correct defensively to make sure you're covering things. And offensively, you have to make sure that the passes are, uh, are crisp, that the movement is crisp. And you're not necessarily just relying on the idea of like, Hey, get it to Tejon Buchanan being a game breaker. I think the system has to really take shape and really needs to understand each other to allow goals to happen. Um, The 63rd minute last night for the revolution, I thought was a really good uh, thing to highlight. Um, And I I posted on my Twitter at Sethman31 and also the Ben Musket. I did a, a, a discussion about it on the one shining moment. And in that play, what you see is Dewan Jones win the ball. He then plays the ball forward to uh, Buxa, who's been a very, very good target. And I think that with Buxa not in the field during the first 45 minutes, the way the Revs were playing was a little bit different. Um, you know, Josie Altidore was out there. He's kind of that target guy. But I do wonder when he picked up a knock because uh, he comes off at halftime and Richie Williams at the end of the game says that he picked up a little bit of an injury. So I do wonder, you know, with like when that happened and how that affected the way he plays. But back to that play in the 63rd minute, Adam Buxa drops in his face. He, he plays the ball back to Brandon Bay. Brandon Bay moves the ball to both of the central midfielders. And now we're on the left side of the field with Dewan Jones going forward. So that's just a system like play, simple passes that open up an opportunity. Dewan Jones plays the ball forward to, to Adam Buxa, who's now higher playing a target. And he hits the ball one time out wide to, to Boateng, who's flared out wide to try to to bring someone with him. Boateng gets to the end line. He plays him across. And then that's Sebastian Legette who runs in with a late uh, run to almost get a goal. His touch is a little too heavy. Um, and then he, it's a save. That's a team-wide goal, right? Like that's everyone doing their part to, to get close to goal, to almost score a goal. And I think last year you could rely on some more individual brilliance because you have a guy like Tejon Buchanan who's going to do that for you. And if he doesn't do it for you, he's going to draw a foul or he's just going to draw more attention. So I think that like right now, there's a lot that has to to go right for the revolution to score those opportunities because, um, you know, Carlos Heel, as electric as he is, he doesn't shoot a lot, right? 
Um, Gustavo Bo shoots a ton, but he, he hasn't found the back of the net yet this year, and he's injured right now. Um, Books is very good, but he d- relies on service. So that requires uh, Jones or requires Bai to, to get up there, or, of course, Carlos Heel. So, and, and Legette's very good as well, but, like, he's the type of guy who, like, floats in the spaces. He's not beating three or four guys and then putting the ball on the back of the net. So I think right now it's a system that requires a lot of guys to do the right things um, in order for goals to happen. And I think that you need you need uh, time to get that system in place. And when you have a, a weird uh, preseason, when you have a ton of injuries, it's hard to, to kind of build that. Uh, and, and, you know, you see that early in the season, J- Juwan Jones, in my opinion, was, was very, very good and, and one of the best – you know, attacking players for the Reds because he's bombing up the field. He's doing all the things that you want to do, but your left back can't necessarily be the guy who's always doing that. Like that's that's eventually something that they opponents can take advantage of because um, they can like find him. They can realize that he's going up, so you're going to find you know play balls into space behind him and try to capitalize that way. Um, you need some of the the other players to to step up. Um, either because they understand the system more or be a little bit more of game changers. And again, that's where that summer transfer window potentially comes in. If you bring in a game changer somewhere on the field in the attacking third, all of a sudden this team plays a little bit different and looks a little bit different. Uh, I, I just sent you both a our next question here. That was a very good answer, uh, Seth, and, and better than I could ever put it. Uh, but I, I, while we're on the topic of tactics, we got a question from Patrick Delaney that I just sent you guys over Twitter. But uh, he mentions that consistently our fullbacks are wide open on the opposite side, and a nice diagonal would put them into acres of space. Uh, and then he also sends a chart uh, showing the average position of where the wingbacks are. And yesterday, uh, with, with Brandon By, Brandon By was typically on the attacking side of the field. He was higher up than uh, certainly Matt Polster. He was higher up slightly than uh, Tommy McNamara. He's almost on level with uh, Carlos Heel. Uh, so he, he was getting up in the attack a little bit. Dewan Jones was back a little bit further than he normally is on average. Normally he's the one getting up uh, and getting up in the attack. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, getting back to his question of uh, will we ever take advantage of uh, the fullbacks in those space using diagonal uh, passes? Um, Seth, what are your thoughts on kind of that tactic of using more diagonal balls uh, and relying on Brandon by and Dewan Jones pushing up even further and, and using their ability to get wide and get up into space? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what this system relies on right now. Um, you need those players to provide with because, you know, if you look at this um, chart that you sent, Sebastian Legette is more central. Uh, Tommy McNamara is very central. So the width has to come from those outside areas. Uh, I, I posted something about this earlier this year. I think the nice thing with Dewan Jones is that you can play the ball to his feet and he can take people on and he can create opportunities that way. With Brandon By, you need to play him into that space. So that's where a diagonal ball comes into play. Um, I think at one point there was a long ball from Andrew Farrell earlier this year, and De- and uh, Brandon By is like, perfect. This is what I need. Like, play me up there. I can use my pace, and then I can pick up my head and try to find the pass early. But more often than not, when you play Brandon By his feet, he, he's struggling to beat the, the person who's marking him. So his passes are going backwards or they're going sideways, and he's not – taking guys on or he's not um, playing one twos to get into good spaces. He's capable of that. Like especially those one twos, he has a really good relationship with Carlos heel, but so far this year, I feel like I haven't seen it quite as much. So in my opinion, like you need those outside mids to, to be dangerous. If you're going to continue to play this system, 
And I think you have to consider the type of balls that you play. I think either one of them, you could play them into space with a diagonal or with, with a longer ball. Uh, but I think with Jones, you can also switch it up and play his feet and have him go at people because there's a little bit of uh, Tejon Buchanan in Dewan Jones. And I think Brandon By, what I've seen from him so far, you're better off playing him into space, let him run at people, put the ball on the ground uh, for someone who's running into the box. Uh, but certainly, yeah, you have to get those outside backs involved. Um, and you just have to be careful that you're not going to be caught on the counter because uh, th there are times that, you know, t teams playing in transitions know that those players are going to be high up. You got to make sure there's coverage back there to help out Andrew Farrell and, and uh, Henry Kessler. Uh, Sam, do you want to add anything onto that? I mean, all that is uh, obviously I, I agree with what Seth said. And just overall, I think Dewan has been great this season. And like Seth mentioned, he's someone who has the confidence. He's able to go at people. It's not something where, uh, you know, I thought Brandon By he's had a decent season. Uh, definitely defensively, there's been some issues. You know, we've seen him playing uh, guys on side and just lack of communication and cohesion with that back line. Obviously, I think having Kessler and Farrell back played a role in everything looking a little bit better. But also, too, just a service into the box. There's just some times where By will have, you know, some great service. He'll, he'll whip across and it'll be perfect. And there's sometimes where... It can, it can kill a play. So overall, I think, you know, there's room for improvement there. But the name of the game for the Rebs is getting those guys up the field. It, it was the same last year. It's going to be the same this year. I think DeWan Jones has done a great job. Maybe see a little bit more from uh, Brandon Bai. Uh, but I don't expect that to change. You know, you're going to need those guys to help out on the attack. And obviously that can leave Matt Polster uh, and the two center backs in some precarious situations. But it's all about balancing that that act of, you know, going full on the attack, but also making sure that you're able to defend on the counter. But again, have to agree with Seth, that's a key part of the New England's attack is getting those fullbacks out wide. Whether And then especially a buy, it's about providing service into the box. But Dewan, he's able to kind of change things up. And also, too, just touching on Dewan, I, I like that, you know, we were starting to see him get some more shots off. Um, you mentioned Carlos Heal. There was plenty, plenty of times, especially late in that game, up a man, where he could have uh, taken some shots. You know, dressed outside the box, but he, he's more of a facilitator, distributor. But I, I enjoyed seeing uh, Dewan Jones uh, let a couple shots go, and I think it's just continuing to show how confident he is. So, when it comes to the play of the back, the wing backs, you're going to see them get forward. So hopefully, they're able to be a bit more successful moving forward. And the game is completely different when Dewan Jones is able to kind of limit his defensive responsibilities and push up. Uh, and, you know, I, I think looking at the Pumas game, you know, the first game he was up a lot. He was tearing it up. But in the second game, he kind of had more defensive responsibilities. It seemed like the Revs really missed his presence out there on the wing. He's really a game changer when he's able to uh, push up. So I, I think that's a really big important thing to note that if you look at where Dewan Jones is in relationship to everyone else, um, you know, he, he's one of the guys that's further back and you really want to see him get up and, and push for a goal. So uh, Misha asks on Discord, uh, well, first off, she asks, uh, Sebastian Legette, Omar Gonzalez, Josie Altador, how have they added to the team? We've kind of touched on this a little bit. We can kind of go around uh, real quick on this, but I think Legette has been fine. I, I see some people criticizing him. I think he's been fine for the role he is playing. Um, uh, and he almost had a goal yesterday. We talk about the wingbacks. Brandon Bay had a nice assist back. Uh, Seth, I know you talked about this play that Botang crossed it. Bay headed it back in. Legette really, really close to another goal. Uh, that that was just an incredible save uh, by, by the Rebels. But um, I think Legette has been fine. 
Omar Gonzalez, I haven't been impressed with. I know Seth, uh, you said he had his moments. Josie Altador, I also feel like he's had his moments. But again, with his salary, you really expect, I feel, a, a lot more from him. Again, we don't know how much the Revs are, are paying and how much TFC is paying. But either way, uh, I, I feel like you want a little bit more from, from Gonzalez and, and Josie Altador. And maybe they will add more later on in the year. Uh, but right now, I, I, I don't have a, a ton to say to how they've really contributed outside Legit. Uh, Sam, you got anything you want to add on Legit, Omar Gonzalez, Josie Altnor, and how they've added to this team? Yeah, I would say just overall, you know, if I, I have to rank them, it's obviously Legit, Altnor, Gonzalez. I just, obviously, I don't know if New England expected to run him out as much as they did to start the season, but he just did not look that great uh, as, as a center back. Uh, Maybe playing with John Bell affected that a little bit, but just overall wasn't impressed by him. Uh, I think Josie Altidore has shown some promising moments. I think he wants some more, but again, he was able to get a goal, was able to get an assist, and he just seems to be fitting in with the team well. So he's looked good so far. And then obviously, I- I've been pretty impressed with what we've seen from Sebastian Legit. Don't think he's done anything to uh, exactly uh, gain any criticism. You know, you'd love for him to score those. Uh, two chances that he was able to get against New York Red Bulls, but I, I think he's been a great addition, and obviously, out of those three, has been the best so far. Yeah, just legit, I think the only thing, yeah, offensively been good, works well with Carlos Hill. I think defensively, we've, we've seen that he's, you know, there's moments where he could be a little bit stronger, but that's just me, you know, offering criticism. Um, Josie Altador, my big concern with him is, you know, can he be healthy and be a consistent player? I was listening to Extra Time Radio Thursday, and Andrew Wiebe, you know, t- the narrative guy, talks about, hey, there's a potential that Josie Altador stays healthy and plays in the World Cup, and then days later he comes off at halftime, and it's it's a story of Josie, like, you know. So, I think what makes it hard is, like you said, we don't know how much they're paying for him. We don't know how much Tam the Revs had to use. Um, I think that if there was a potential to bring in a different player, then I would have brought in a different player over Josie. Um, but I. If, if for some reason that was the best choice and we, we don't really we don't privy to those conversations, then we've seen some okay things from Josie. His mind seems pretty good. He's He's been a good person in the locker room. He's had the, that goal and assist. So uh, if he can stay healthy, I can see him being okay. And, you know, Omar, he, I thought, you know, he, he looked pretty, pretty poor when he was playing alongside uh, John Bell. But I thought, like, when he was, you know, asked to come in and play next to Andrew Farrell, he – at least was doing some things and, and kind of showing that showing why he was brought in. Uh, but again, how much is his salary? Is there another option out there? And if there's another option out there, then you potentially go with that other option. So I don't want, I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, a complete optimist on all these players. I just think that um, some of them have been put into hard situations. Um, and I think that, you know, again, by mid season, I think I'll be ready to, to paint a picture more about how these players have done, because if, if Josie's injured, you know, for, for a few weeks, it's, it's not good, but if he gets back on the field and he's, he's putting, he gets another couple of goals. If he ends up with, you know, seven goals and, he, and those are some, you know, game winning goals, or those are some game tying goals. Then like, it's okay. Then he's a good player. If Omar comes in a few more times and, and relieves Henry Kessler or, or Andrew Farrell and helps them secure a point or comes in late in games, like we used to see with Michael Mancian and just is the guy who wins headers, then, okay. Like then he's an okay player. Uh, but I think that totally at, at this point, Legette seems good. Um, Josie hopefully stays healthy, and, and Omar hasn't really shown um, that he that he's he's t- going to be a starter or, or a frequent contributor to this team. 
Yeah, and again, I want to reiterate something I said when the Josie Altador signing happened. Good player. That's a guy that you're you're really blessed to have as your third striker, a super sub coming off the bench. But it's probably a bad contract. You look at how much he's getting paid. He's probably not worth that. And again, we don't know what the Revs are paying and what they're not paying. But even if they're paying him five hundred thousand dollars, that's a real luxury player. And you know, it's very possible you're not going to get your money's worth. Mm-hmm. But your team is certainly a lot stronger having Josie Altador there instead of Edward Kizza, for example. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's really kind of turning out to be the case. Uh, Misha also says, and I'm going to limit this to 30 seconds uh, just so we can kind of move along, but something else needs to change. What, in your opinion, is the most dire need? Uh, Seth, right now for the revolution, what is their most dire need to turn things around? I, I think that if, if I could add one thing to this team, it would be uh, a left midfielder, a dynamic left, field, left midfielder to play opposite of uh, Legette, and maybe that guy is able to flare out a little bit and provide some of those good things that um, that Tejon Buchanan used to provide on the right-hand side. Teal Forever says on Twitter, uh, didn't see the match but saw Bruce's comments that Major League Soccer teams, with the exception of Seattle, can't compete in Champions League and MLS regular season. Uh, for context, Bruce basically said that, you know, it's the beginning of the season, MLS teams aren't really built to play in both competitions, uh, and usually they got off to a slow start. And he referred to, you know, you look at New York City FC, they're they're in a similar position as the Revolution right now. So uh, Teal Forever's question is, what is preventing most Major League Soccer teams from doing this, and or what is allowing Seattle to perform well uh, in both competitions? Um, Seth, I'll start with you. Uh, why is this? Why are MLS teams struggling to perform in both? Uh, or what? Uh, what is the magic formula that Seattle has found? Yeah, I think it's just a lot of games early in the season um, that maybe guys are still working their way up to fitness. Maybe guys are still finding chemistry. And I think that when you look at uh, certain rosters, they're just not as deep as Mexican uh, rosters where Mexican teams, um, their top 11 can go against MLS top 11. And it could be a very, very good game. But all of a sudden when you go deeper in the roster, it becomes difficult to, to, to pull guys in that are ready to play. And so all of a sudden when you're asking teams to play, you know, Monday, uh, sorry, not Monday, uh, Wednesday to Saturday to Wednesday to Saturday, uh, you have to have roster rotations. Um, you know, when, with, for the revolution, okay, so you have you have Adam Buxa and you have uh, Bo, but behind them you have Altidore, who's not necessarily coming off a good season, uh, and then you go to Kiza and Renix. And Renix and Kiza, um, they don't produce a lot of numbers at this point. They don't play a lot of games. So when you ask them to play, they can give you energy. They can you know work hard and, and do some okay stuff, but they're not the experienced guys that – are on the roster. Same thing with uh, the back line, you know, okay. Yeah. You got Andrew Farrell and you've got Kessler who are very, very good. Um, If you replace one of them with Omar or John Bell, okay, we could kind of make it work. But all of a sudden, if you replace both of them, it's a much different story. And all of a sudden the team plays a little bit different. Uh, So it's hard to balance and try to, and try to win both games because the roster depth just isn't there. Um, and I think that Seattle has has built that and has brought some guys in that are are able to do that. I think that um, they just have have that going for them as opposed to some other teams who have to, you know, really focus more on their starting eleven. I would just say, yeah, the key for uh, Seattle is just the amount of depth that they're able to have. They've done a great job of building their roster, so that would be the the main thing for them. And 
obviously, CONCACAF Champions League is very difficult, no matter who it is, but especially for MLS clubs just starting their season. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Maybe Seattle is able to uh, break the curse. They, they've done a great job constructing that roster, but you know, it's. I think Bruce makes valid points, and also, too, uh, shameless plug, there will be an article on that. Uh, those comments coming out on Monday, so make sure to check that out. Teaser, thebuntmusket.com, and follow them at thebuntmusket on Twitter. Um, real quick on the, the rest of these listener questions, I'll run through these real quick because these are basically troll questions, but Cam on Discord says, are the Revs officially a finished Mickey Mouse Club? And we have covered, the Revs are far from finished. There's still a lot of season to go. So the Revolution are not a finished Mickey Mouse Club. They are a Mickey Mouse Club that is alive and well. Uh, and what now really also asks us, uh, advice for addressing all the nausea, nothing like good old Pepto-Bismol. You know, if you're a Revs fan, you know to have some pepto somewhere near where you're watching the game at all times because you never know when this team is going to make you sick so if you're a new revolution fan if you've just been turned onto this team and you're used to success you're used to supporter shield uh you know make sure you got pepto-bismol within an arm's reach so uh just wanted to touch on those things really quickly just a little psa uh for all of our listeners so let's get to some moves we got some news here guys i know that we typically wrap up our our shows around now but we got some we got some things to talk about. Edward Kizza no longer on the roster, kind of. He's been loaned to Memphis. Uh, the Revolution basically have loaned him on a season-long loan. As a result, the Revolution are getting some roster relief. The Revs get the international roster spot back. Edward Kizza was on the supplemental roster, which is not really a huge deal. The international spot is a bigger deal. But uh, the Revolution get a supplemental roster spot back. It is worth noting that Edward Kizza did meet conditions to be loaned to Revs 2 for a season, and that also would have cleared off an international roster spot. So this isn't just dumping a player to gain an international roster spot. It seems like either the Revs are getting a fee for this, or the Revolution want to see Edward Kizza play at the United the, the USL championship level uh, and give him a season there and see how he develops there. Uh, so just a couple of notes on the transaction and kind of explaining a little bit further. Seth, do you have any thoughts on Edward Kizza going to Memphis for this season? Yeah, I think it's going to be a good opportunity for him. Uh, you know, when, when he moved over to, to Memphis, uh, they were 2-1. and one. Um, They had scored three goals, but none of their goals have been scored by a striker. Uh, and the guys that are there at striker hadn't had a lot of um, experience. So he's going to have the opportunity to win a spot and play a lot of minutes. Uh, I believe Tim Howard is associated with that club, right, as the owner or, or something like I, that? I believe he's an owner, part owner, yes. Yeah, so so part of me wonders if if Howard was looking around and trying to find a, a striker, and he you know called Bruce Arena, um, and that's how this deal ended up happening. I'm not really sure. Maybe Bruce Arena called Howard, and in, in, in that kind of how it happened. Um, but I, I do wonder if that relationship led to anything because we saw you know uh, Renix go down to North Carolina at one point in the USL because of the relationship with uh, Dave Sarakin. So maybe there's a little bit of trust about working together and and finding a good spot for the player. Um, the big, more than anything else, I, I think that this is part of the reason why I have some faith in, in Bruce Arena is because he has shown that he he's willing to move pieces around if, if it doesn't really uh, help out the roster. I mean, we saw him move on from Bootner. We saw him move on from Mafla. We see him say, okay, Kiz is here, and, and he's probably not going to start with the first team. Um, let's send him on loan somewhere and open up an international spot so that, you know, that makes me wonder if he's going to be willing to, to buy out contracts or move guys on or sell guys if it's going to open up things as opposed to maybe some past regimes that say, hey, we're going to, to keep guys here because 
they're already here. Um, if you remember, there was a moment where, where Somi was potentially going to go over to FC Cincinnati. That was the rumor. That was what was out there. And Somi, who was not starting for the revolution, didn't go, even though it was a, a decent opportunity to move on from that player. They ended up keeping him. And I think that Bruce Arena is someone who says, you know, I'll keep guys, but eventually I'll move those guys on if it's good for the team, if it's good for uh, if what it's what if it's good for the player as well. So, you know, you look at some of these contracts with uh, Omar Gonzalez and and uh, Josie Altidore and, and Arnar and Wilfred Captoon. And I wonder if, if Bruce also is thinking about, like, if at, at the end of this year, these aren't working out, are there ways out of these contracts or, or things that can be done to get out of them? Uh, so I think that that's, that's something that, that doesn't relate to Kizza as much, but it does give me confidence that he's always thinking about roster construction and, and how things can go. And he's not necessarily always um, locking himself into all of these contracts. Uh, I want to quickly follow up on you there. I mean, there's two ways I can view this Kizza transaction either they've seen Kizza at usl league one and they feel like maybe he's past us you know revs two but he doesn't have a role with the senior team and they kind of want to see where he plays kind of in a middle ground and see if they want to keep him going forward or the other route you can take is a little more pessimistic where you know this guy isn't working out we don't want him to block a younger player on revs two Let's just send him away to Memphis. And, and again, maybe they're getting a loan fee. Maybe the, the Revs are financially benefiting from this transaction, which, you know, we, we don't know that. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. But in my mind, this is either a move him off the roster and make, make sure he's not clogging up a spot or they want to value him at a higher level. Seth, where, where do you where on the scale do you think this one lands? Or is it a little from column B A and a little from column B? Yeah, it's a tough question, um, and I purposely kind of avoided that question because I wasn't really sure how to answer it because I don't know. I don't know uh, what the details are. I think that you you laid it out very well. You know, like if he stays in Foxborough, then he's going to have more contact with the first team. He's going to obviously have minutes with the second team. He's going to be more available if you want to call him up. Um I think that if you send him to, to Memphis, you're saying like, you go over there, you go see what you can do um, and let him kind of develop on his own a little bit more under the tutelage of, of the coach that's there. And, and it's a little bit more separated than playing with the revs too. I'm not sure if that means that they're just moving on from him. They're no longer uh, happy with what he can offer or are they, or if they're more saying like you go perform at this, this level and see what you can do. And from there, we could potentially bring you back at the, the end of the year. Uh, it, it, my thought is that he's for sure. This definitely means he's for sure gone for the entire year, that there won't be any type of callback for like the open cup. Um, and it, it's up to him to kind of, you know, put himself in a good position to then find his, his next opportunity, whether it's back with the first team because he performed so well, or he advertises himself as a really good USL uh, championship um, striker and ends up with a different team, maybe playing against uh, Juan Agudelo down in uh, Birmingham. So I, I think this is, in my opinion, this I always kind of viewed it as an opportunity for Kizza to, to advertise himself, to put himself out there and uh, show that he either belongs on an MLS roster uh, or that he can cut it in um, the USL championship. Because we saw like a guy like Joe Rice, right? Like Joe Rice you know, spends multiple years in, in league one and then ends up on a, a championship roster. Um, I think that that's maybe like, 
you know, he kind of has an opportunity to show himself um, and, and possibly try to vie for his next contract, whether it's MLS or elsewhere. Sam, where do you fall on the scale of, you know, is this bad news for Kizza that there's no role in this organization for him? Or do you think the Revs want to see him play at a higher level? Where do you fall on that scale? Yeah, I, I would say similar to Seth, it's kind of, kind of a balancing act. But I think, you know, the fact that when Bruce Arena drafted Edward Kizza, he, he was quite high on him and expectations were set quite high. Uh, so I think there, there, there still is a chance that he has a role in this team. Uh, obviously, he was also uh, coming off a season uh, where he sat out. So, obviously, missing an entire season, even if it is just college soccer, is is quite uh, important. So, uh, it's an interesting situation. Uh, but I do think it, it is kind of great news for Justin Rennick because, obviously, Bruce has trusted Rennick in some important times, giving him some minutes in the playoff games and what it may have you. He got his first start. Uh, in the last game against the Red Bulls, it was his first start since 2019, uh, and he looked pretty good. So credit to him for that. But I think we expect to see Rennick a lot more, and this is kind of a make or break year for him because if you do have Edward Kiza performing quite well out on loan, now you start to wonder what's Justin Rennick's future with the club. Is he someone who has the potential to be an impact player or to make a difference, whether it be off the bench or in the starting lineup? Uh, for the Newman Revolution, or is it time to move on from him? So I definitely think, uh, you know, the move can definitely work out for Edward Kizza. He can improve. He can show what he's capable of, show his worth, whether that's to New England or another club. But also, too, it kind of shines a light on Justin Rennix and having him show his worth and if he's capable of staying with the Newman Revolution or if he needs to go somewhere else. And it's worth noting Matt Turner was on loan at Richmond, he credits that loan as helping in his development greatly. Justin Rennix, uh, Seth, as you mentioned, Justin Rennix went to North Carolina for a season, and he talked about it last week on our interview with uh, Justin Rennix, uh, where he said that was very, very helpful to him. If you haven't listened to that interview, please go back and listen to it. Justin was uh, great. So uh, he credits New, uh, North Carolina as being helpful for him in his development. So maybe this will help Kiz's development uh, overall, too. Uh, we got to get to some news here, too. Seth, I know you've alluded to it. The Revs are rumored pretty heavily. It seems pretty official according to uh, the other team's website, but they are in, it seems like they are about to come to terms with a Serbian goalkeeper. And Seth, luckily you've been pronouncing this guy's name all week. You're an expert at it. Please give us the correct pronunciation of his name. Ben Softley is not going to be happy with me if he listens to this podcast. Uh, Petrovic, I believe, is a good way of pronouncing it, or at least kind of closer than I was couple days ago to saying it. Um, yeah, I, I think that this individual is, is a young goalkeeper. Um, I talked to Serbian football uh, or Serbian football, footy on Twitter a little bit about who he is. And he talked about how he's a young goalkeeper. He has one cap with the Serbian national team, but played various um, youth ranks with, with the Serbia, represented them internationally. Um, he's over six feet tall, I think six, five. Um, he's an excellent shot stopper. He's someone who has a lot of composure. He's able to grab the balls and command the box and be very vocal. Uh, he's still developing, you know, that he, he at 22 years old, um, you know, one way to look at it is that in the United States, if you're 22 years old, you're just coming out of college. Right. Uh, so he, he's still pretty young. He still has a lot to experience and, you know, major league soccer is a, a physical league. It's a quick league. There's, you have to be really on your toes. It's a rising league. 
Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what he can do. Um, but, you know, if, if they are bringing him in, uh, believed to be a three-year contract, according to what was on the website. Um, again, the website has even quotes from him and his coach. So, you know, it all, all but certainly is going to happen um, in, in the coming weeks, if not sooner. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he, he fits in on this team. Uh, do they imagine him coming in and immediately being a starter? I would think so. Um, you know, if you think about Matt Turner leaving, uh, you have, you know, Earl Edwards Jr., which I think most of us would agree would not be the guy you would start full time if Turner leaves. Uh, Brad Knighton was good last night and, and he has the experience. So maybe you give him uh, the, rest, the second half of the season to to really shine and give him more, more opportunity as a starter. While, while someone like um, Petrovic uh, kind of gets up to speed and, and starts to, to figure out MLS. Um, or maybe even, you know, Jackson, who, who played okay down at Revs 2 today, making some big uh, saves and also making, you know, a little bit of mistakes down there, still developing as a goalkeeper. But maybe a, a full year of him allows him to develop and be ready in the spot. So uh, Petrovic, I think, is someone who is, is, I would imagine, starts for the second half of the season. But at 22 years old, that's a pretty big role to, to step into. So maybe uh, Brad Knighton um, f- fills that role while – while Petrovic kind of gets up to, to speed. Yeah, you know, uh, Petrovic, um, you know, I, I looked into this and I thought maybe this guy is going to be a um, U22 signing. I, I figured this is going to be the Revolution's use of the U22 slot. Um, and then I checked the rules tonight. And the rules here say eligibility for a U22 initiative slot. A player must be 22 years old or younger. In the first year, he is eligible to play in an MLS game. E.g. not eligible for 2022 if he turns 23 in 2022. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, Petrovic is date of birth, October 8th, 1999, which means he turns 23 in 2022. So he's not eligible for the U22 initiative slot, which I think is pretty significant to say. Um, the U22 initiative slot essentially is um, unlimited transfer. Uh, you know, you, you can spend any amount of money on a player you want. Um, but it's still restricted to the salary cap rules. Obviously, it's age-restricted, uh, and then there's some salary cap benefits as well. But um, one thing that is, you know, his transfer market value is 1.2 million euros. You know, if, even if there's a transfer fee attached of 1.5 million, I mean, it's going to hit the cap pretty hard. Um, this might potentially be a player that you might have to do some gam on or tam on. Um, so, yeah, this this seems to be a player who I know he's young. It seems like a development player. Maybe there is a bridge from Brad Knighton um, to Petrovic, but ultimately I think uh, this guy is going to have to step in sooner or later if he comes over to the revolution, which it sounds like he is. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he transitions. I know a lot of players from Europe maybe hit a little bit of a slow start. Certainly it seems like the revolution have had some rough luck lately with the players they've acquired from Europe, whether it be Tristison or Captoom, who we talked earlier. Uh, but it seems like if, if this guy is coming in uh, from what it sounds like and a transfer fee of one or $2 million is going out and he, we're not using a, you know, he, he's not occupying the U 22 slot, which to my understanding, he can't, um, you know, this guy's got to be the starter starting in 2023. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses, but Seth, from, from what you've found out, uh, it's certainly, certainly very promising and already has a cap with the Serbian national team. That's extremely exciting. So, uh, while we're talking about goalies, we got, we, it's been a long episode, but we have to talk about, 
frostbite gate and Matt Turner's foot. One of the more bizarre stories I've talked about, and I know we've talked about this before, and previously we got comments on Matt Turner's injury and what the the what's going on there. We've learned a lot this week. Previously, we knew Matt Turner had a fracture in his foot. Tom Quinlan reported that. A few other people reported that he had a, a, a break or fracture in his right foot. We all assumed that was the injury. End of story. There were rumors about it being frostbite. That was pushed back by Greg Berhalter, who said the injury has nothing to do with frostbite. Well, there wasn't one injury to his feet, it turns out. It turns like there were two injuries to his feet. Matt Turner spoke to WBZ when he was asked about his injury. And he said, you know, I had some frozen tissue in my foot. I was out of training for three or four days. Then I trained one day. I played in a friendly against LAFC. And then I hurt my foot. Um, that got kind of misconstrued into they were related injuries. It was the same foot. Matt Turner came out and said that actually he had frozen tissue and tendonitis in his left foot and the fracture is in his right foot. And so for, for a while that um, seemed to be the story. And then Bruce Arena last night at the press conference when asked by uh, Tom Quillen about his thoughts about the Minnesota game, just kind of drops a, you know what, Matt Turner did have frostbite. Uh, that's what it was. It was frostbite. He had frostbite in his foot, and he confirmed that it is unrelated to the broken foot injury on his right foot. But nevertheless, he did actually have frostbite in his left foot, uh, which is pretty mind-blowing because it certainly seems like this was, for whatever reason, hidden or whatever, certainly everyone knew about these frostbite rumors uh, and no context was given until this weekend. So um, I, I think I've covered all of it. Sam, what are your thoughts on frostbite gate here? I mean, uh, besides that, we I've heard and heard the word frostbite more than I have in my entire life. Uh, yeah, I would just say that it's important to note that they're two very separate injuries. Uh, like Matt said, uh whether it be himself describing it as a frozen foot that led to tendonitis, whether it be Bruce Arena saying that it is frostbite. And also, too, uh, I reached out to U.S. soccer, and a U.S. men's national team spokesperson basically told me that he was never medically diagnosed with frostbite. Uh, so it's just when you think it, the story stops, it just keeps going. Uh, but overall, uh, when it comes to it, I, it was, I think what's also important, not important, but I thought it was kind of interesting to hear Bruce say it. He flat out said that it was stupid for the U U.S. men's national team to play in those conditions. He said that they could have played uh, that competition anywhere and they, they would have gotten the desired result. So I thought that was quite interesting as well, too. You know, he mentioned that CONCACAF, you know, there's always some gimmicks that you try and use to win. He mentioned that Canada... Obviously, where can they go? It's it, it's going to be cold there. Maybe you go to Vancouver. That's more advantageous, more competitive soccer, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it just seems like uh, right when we think we know every single thing about this story, something else comes out. Uh, but hopefully uh, we never hear about Frostbite ever again. Uh, I disagree. I want this story to live on for the rest of time. Uh, Seth, what are your thoughts on Frostbite Gate? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, in one way, it's a kind of a funny story because it, it keeps like having these twists and turns. In another way, like I, I don't get the big deal about it um, because Matt Turner played in the game. Uh, he he suffered from some tendonitis in his left foot. He said in the interview um, on, with CBS Sports that three or four days went by and he was fine. 
He tra- uh, trained for one day. He participated in a closed door uh, preseason game against LAFC. Um, there was a, a slide tackle that was reckless, I believe he said, and it, it got to his right foot. And that's what led to this longer injury. Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think the frostbite part is that big of a deal because um, it, he got over it. You know, like it, it's not like a situation where he's st- it's still lingering. It's not a situation where he's mad about it. Uh, I just think that like it, it's it's a semantics thing, like whether whether he, he calls it a frozen foot or Bruce Arena calls it frostbite. If, um, you know, whether it's tendonitis or it's something else, like I think that he had an injury in his left foot, he got over it and now he's dealing with something in his right foot. And, you know, he's, he's now working out. He's now going to the doctor, I believe this week and hopefully getting cleared. And, and there's a potential that he's going to play some games for the revolution, hopefully play for the revolution before he goes to Arsenal. I just think that like a lot, I think a lot of people believe that there was lying that was happening when I think that there just wasn't enough information that was out there. And I don't think that anyone, uh, the, I think people were a- being asked questions were answering how they wanted to answer the questions. And you could say that they could have been more transparent and told the full story along the way, but I don't think they have to like, you know, Matt Turner was out for three or four days. You know how many guys like have little, you know, knocks or little things that happen to them that just don't really get disclosed. Like it's, it's not that big of a, in, in my mind, it's not that big of a deal maybe because it was with the national team because it was so cold and there was the debate whether they should play that game. I mean, I think that that's more interesting that, you know, Bruce Arena said that that game should not have been played there. They, he does not think it was a, a great idea. Okay. That's a conversation that we could have, but the fact that like Matt Turner's foot, he, he was unable to play for three or four days. I don't know. It, to me, it, it's not a big issue. Cause I, I'm sure if you ask Matt, he'd say he'd do it again, that he would represent his country and play in Minnesota and, I, I, from everything we know, there's no long-term effects, right? So it's just that he 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 wasn't he had to take a few days off before training, and unfortunately, there was this second injury that like compounds, and all of a sudden, people are like you know making put put together random things and and not like looking for the full story. Um, there's an article on MLSsoccer.com written by John Siegel that kind of like goes through like here's the exact timeline, and I think if people were to take a moment and read that all, they'd be like, oh, okay, I get it now. It wasn't you know it. it I think I'm not sure exactly the question that Greg Berhalter was was asked, but he, he wasn't saying that he was answering like what the injury was at the time that was keeping him out, I believe. And that injury was not frostbite. Right. So he wasn't like he, it's not like he's hiding that that situation. Um, and I think it's also semantics. I mean, like I think, you know, Bruce Arena calls it frostbite, but I, I don't know, like what was it frostbite versus was it just a, a frozen foot? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not, maybe I'm not into the conspiracy theories of it all that's out there. I think that there are some interesting things out there, but to me right now, it's just a non-story because it's not affecting him anymore. Well, here's my two cents. And I agree with a lot of what you said, because on the face of this, this is not a story. Matt Turner having frozen tissue in his left foot that kept him out of training for three days is not a story whatsoever. And, and the quote you're, you're referencing here from Greg Berhalter, he said on March 17th, his injury has nothing to do with frostbite, which is technically true. His injury that's keeping him out has nothing to do with frostbite, but he did have frostbite earlier. I guess where I'm, and, and also I want to go a step further here and clarify another thing too, because Matt Turner came out on Friday and said he developed a little bit of tendonitis in his left foot because the tissues in his foot froze. And 
I understand a lot of people said, see, it's not frostbite. If you go look up on WebMD, what is frostbite? Frostbite occurs when tissues freeze. And so, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, he isn't saying he had frostbite, but it's, it's his comments almost imply he had a small case of frostbite. I think the issue is this is not really a story, but someone went out there and made and, and made it a chapter of this story where Matt Turner is out because of frostbite. He developed, he said it was the, the rumor here was it was second degree frostbite. Secondary frostbite is different. It develops blisters. You know, it's a, it's a more um, severe case of frostbite. Whereas Matt Turner had really first degree frostbite of frostbite at all. So, um, and I, I have spent a lot of time on WebMD as you could tell, but um, the, the narrative that was allowed to develop because USA didn't just come out. If USA just comes out and, and says this when this rumor comes out, and if they say this injury has nothing to do with frostbite at all, he did have a, a, a small case here in his left foot, um, but it was complete. It's completely non-negligent. That story is not true. That really kind of squashes it there, and it's not a story. Whereas weeks later, we find out he did have frostbite or he had tendonitis or whatever. He, he suffered an injury because of the cold and it's a bad look for U.S. soccer. And I feel like this has been squashed and it's really more of a bad look than anything. And really, this shouldn't even be a story at all. So, um, yeah, I that's my two cents. I don't know if you want to respond to that, Seth, but I, I think that U.S. soccer certainly here in this case. The revolution certainly are not really upfront with injuries. And that goes back to Carla's heel last summer as well. Um, I hope that people kind of look at this and how much of a non-issue this is and realize they have a lot of egg on their face and a really, really bad look. And it's really kind of just helped the spread of misinformation because they didn't just come out and say what the injury slash injuries were. So anyway, Seth, I don't know if you want to respond to that, but. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that if, if you, if we get more accurate um, reports about injuries, then we, we know. Um, you know, for example, I, I believe I was the first one to ask Bruce Arena about the Turner injury. Um, it was re- first reported by CBS uh, News that, or sorry, Sports that he was not going to be uh, traveling out to Portland. And I asked in the press conference, Bruce Arena, like, what's, the, what's going on with Matt Turner? Uh, did he travel? And he just kind of said, I'm not interested in talking about injuries. You know, if he comes out right then and says, you know, his foot, it's a right foot that happened in preseason. Um, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, like that's, that's what happened. And, and we're a little bit more upfront. If he wants to go that extra level and say like, oh, he had this injury and now he has that injury again, that really clears things up. But instead we've kind of gotten these little nuggets all along the way. Like he, we found out, you know, first we said, uh, he, we don't, we don't really, first Bruce Arena says, uh, I don't really want to talk about it. Later on, he reveals it's a foot injury. Later on, it reveals that it happened in a preseason game. Um, you know, I'm reporting stuff. Quinlan's reporting stuff all along the way. And we're getting these little snippets and having to put them all together um, as opposed to someone coming up front. But I also think that, like, it, it's not – they don't have to answer those questions. That if Bruce Arena doesn't want to an- answer injury questions, that he doesn't have to. And maybe we're seeing the consequence of that now, that, like, people start to develop their own answers – um, and maybe that's something that, you know, the organization keeps in mind, but I don't think they have to, like, I'm not, you know, demanding that they have to put those things out there. They just have to be aware of what could potentially happen from it. Uh, and the other thing I just want to just, just ask, and I, cause I honestly don't know was up until that point of, um, up until the point of Greg Burhalter being asked about frostbite, was anyone ever asked directly about if it was frostbite? Because I don't think anyone ever was, and I don't think we even knew that there was an issue with his left foot until Matt Turner told us there was an issue with his left foot. 
Yes. Yes to both of those statements. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, I, yeah, certainly they could, they could bring it up, but like he, his, he had, fro- he may or may not have frostbite. He certainly has something going on with his left foot and then it resolved itself in three or four days. Like it's not, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think anyone has to report that out. Like I, I'm sure that guys take days off at training right now because they have little things that are going on. Like not every single injury has to be reported and, and put out there. It's kind of our job to ask those questions. And then it's up to those people to, to decide if they want to answer them or not. So I don't know. I just, it, 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 I, I just don't buy into any idea that like there was a conspiracy here or, or anything more to it. Um, I just think that, you know, that it, it, it wasn't brought up and now it was brought up. And then all of a sudden people jump on the headline that like this game that was played in frigid um, conditions had this consequence, which in my mind is not a big consequence because he was out for a few days and then something unfortunate happened to his other foot. But, but so you're right. They don't have to, <laughs> they, they don't have to say it, but I mean, they obviously are aware of the rumor. I mean, wouldn't just a press, I, I mean, I, I understand that no one asked Burhalter on the record at a press conference about it until March 17th, but isn't a press release that says uh, there's some misconceptions about Matt Turner. You know, he had tendonitis in his left foot. You know, he was out two days. It's, it's not a serious injury. Whereas the, the rumor that was going around was this is the injury that's keeping him out for months. And if you have a frostbite injury, that's keeping you out for months. That's, that's, you know, potentially nerve damage and all that stuff. So I, I'm probably, I'm probably getting things wrong. I'm going off of my memory in WebMD, but I, I guess in my mind too, I'm thinking back to last summer with Carlos Hill, you know, you, you reported that he's out however many games, a short-term injury. I think it was th- two to four weeks or two to five weeks or something like that. And Bruce Arena goes on 98.5 and says, you know, we haven't made the lineup yet. We don't know if Carlos Hill is going to be, you know, playing tonight, but you know, they knew, you know, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I, I just wish there was a lot more transparency with these injuries because a lot of fans know, and a lot of fans want to know what's going on with, the starting goalkeeper of the United States or what's happening with the league MVP. And, uh, you know, if you just come out and say it, you're not asked every single week and it, it doesn't look as shady. And, you know, I, I certainly applaud Bruce for just coming out and saying it because it's, it's a non-story and I kind of want to just move on from it. Um, and just acknowledge that this is a really bad look for us soccer to one, play this game in Minnesota Two, someone had a, albeit minor injury in this game and three that they seem to have gone to great lengths to just not acknowledge it. So that just, I don't know, drives me up a wall and and I understand they don't have to, but it, I think it's a really bad look and it, it's made a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, potentially. I, we could honestly debate about this the entire time. Uh, but I just, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's their job to put out press releases about something like that. Like it, it's yeah. May, yeah. Maybe they, they, that's, it's easier just to kind of squash it by, you know, they're, they're on Twitter and they're searching like the, the hashtag and they're like, this is happening a lot, but that, that sets up a precedent too of like, how often do you, you put out press releases to, to, to address things in social media? Like social media is a, a wild place, man. Like <laughs> people say a lot of things and they post a lot of rumors and, and, and uh, you know, pictures and misinformation. And I don't know how often you have to like, you know, put something out there saying like, this is not true or this is true. I think that again, it, it's it's the role of the media to to ask questions. I think Sam did a great job of saying, "Okay, Bruce Arena says this. I'm going to contact the U.S. soccer uh, press person, and the U.S. soccer press person says, no, our, our medical uh, staff didn't uh, didn't diagnose him with um, 
with Frostbite after the game. I mean, that that's how it's supposed to work. And now you can kind of think about like, okay, it, it is you can measure out things and be like, who's telling the truth? What's what's happening here? I don't know. But again, I just to me, it's just it, it's not a a big story. Like Matt Turner's life wasn't in danger. Um, the the U.S. collected three points. Um, maybe you can argue that this information is kept in mind and for future games, whether you play in certain locations or po- postpone if the conditions are are harsh. But I, I just think that, you know, having said that, having like spoken about it for 15 minutes now, I just view it as like a non-starter. Like it's a, it's just a fun headline that people like to see. And that's what's like keeps it kind of going. But like whether he had Frostbury or not, he was out for three or four days and then he was back on the field. So why is it, why is it still being talked about? The story here to me is not Matt Turner had frostbite. The story to me is Greg Peralter was asked about it. And his answer was, you know, Matt Turner's injury has nothing to do with frostbite. And he didn't say, you know, well, Matt Turner had a two day thing of frostbite and you know, now it's a broken foot. You know, it just doesn't strike me as it, 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 the way it's been responded to seems shady. And that's only just going to, fuel further speculation. So I I guess that's, and again, that's feeding into social media rumors and all that. And I, and, and, you know, it's hard to tell what the truth is because Matt Turner is saying he had tendonitis. Bruce Arena is saying he had frostbite and the United States is saying they didn't diagnose him with either. Last thing I'll say here, and and, because I imagine we're probably, you know, we're we're getting pretty high up here on the, uh, the, the, the the minute count here. I don't know if you want to put out a, a separate, uh, frostbite only podcast uh, for our patreon <laughs> subscribers maybe we can go for another hour on this uh but i you know i i, I honestly one person i just feel bad through all this is is matt turner because um you heard it in his interview with cbs sports with with dan roach is that he wanted to be on the team so badly and he you know uh wanted to play every single game for this team he wanted to be in front of the team uh the, the his teammates he wanted to be in front of the fans like he wanted to leave this this club on a high note and he wasn't able to. And then I feel bad for him because um, he puts out these comments that were kind of taken in a variety of different ways. And he has to kind of go out there and clarify them. And then people are still talking about it. And, and I imagine that if I'm Matt Turner, I'm, I'm probably done hearing about it. Like I, I want people to talk about, you know, my return to the field. I want people to talk about, you know, my, my potential of playing in the world cup. I want people to talk about me going to Arsenal. I, I don't, I don't know how much he wants everyone focusing on in his left foot that he that caused him to be out for three or four days and debating that, you know debating that semantics while taking away from U.S. national team talk or Revs talk. So I think that you know I imagine and I, I don't know anything for sure, but I imagine that he's probably like, all right, guys, let's let's move on. Like it, it was a moment that happened. I got to shut out. You know, onward and upward. Um, so. In, in my opinion, I, I, and that's not criticizing anyone. Tom Quinlan did a really great job um, talking to Bruce Arena last night and getting some really great quotes. Some of those quotes that were picked up by the Associated Press. Uh, Sam Minton did a really great job uh, asking questions and trying to to get some insight from U.S. Soccer. Um, you know, CBS uh, Sports that you know did a good job getting the first interview. Like these are all questions that need to be asked, but I just feel like it's getting so much play versus some other things that are out there. What quick uh, 
moment of clarification too because i googled it because i realized i was talking about frostbite and the differences between first degree and second degree and i'm probably misquoting it first degree frostbite freezes the outer part of the skin and does not cause long lasting problems second degree frostbite freezes all layers of the skin it causes numbness followed by aching and throbbing pain blisters appear uh and and so and and you do get blisters from that foot it's a little bit more of a severe and that is from uh myhealth.alberta.ca i assume that is a reputable source source for health information sam i forgot you were here do you have anything you want to add on frostbite are you still here or did you hang up i can't confirm i'm still here uh i mean i I think the big thing here is obviously uh it's frostbite it's not something you hear every day so i think that that's part of the reason but i think the the big overall overall arching question uh you know no matter if matt turner had tendinitis no matter if he had frostbite i think it it was the conversation going into that game in minnesota it it continued to be the conversation after the game um i believe it was grant wall who reported that uh two i believe it's hunter during players were treated for hypothermia so obviously there's everything that comes with concaf play uh i think there'll be the question of whether that game should have been played whether it should have been postponed I just think overall, whether it be, you know, U.S. men's national team, whether it be the media, no matter who it is, it just seems like a big learning situation for everyone. But again, I am just ready to talk about literally anything but frostbite. We're on to inner miami uh, Sam, uh, before we wrap up here today, drop your social. Uh, any final thoughts? Oh uh, yeah! Uh, again, make sure to check out everything at the Bent Musket. Uh, we will have something dropping uh, on Monday morning about uh, Bruce Arena's comments on the struggles with CCL and the struggles uh, in the league. So make sure to check that out. But also too, you can follow me at Sam underscore Minton twenty two on Twitter. And uh, just want to say thanks to everybody who uh, takes time to listen to this, and thanks for to everybody who you know, communicates with me and Seth. Uh, who reads our work, who, you know, checks out the Bent Musket. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And hopefully, you know, going to play a team of like Inter Miami, hopefully uh, Revs Recap and the Bent Musket get to talk about a win compared to talking about everything that's happened these last three weeks. Here, here. Seth, uh, why don't you drop your social media uh, handle and any final thoughts you have uh, so we can wrap up this episode and continue our Frostbite debate. Yeah, I just uh, opened up WebMD, so I'm ready to go uh, afterwards. That's a joke. <laughs> I, I'm done with talking about that. Um, yes, SethMan31 on Twitter, uh, you know, joining the conversation, um, writing articles for the Ben Musk. I put a, a lot out today. I was kind of excited to get back to writing. I think I took like a two-week uh, hiatus. I do have a couple of really exciting articles coming up. Uh, one I've been sitting on for a long time, um, but, you know, with with it, uh, with Matt Turner uh, making his way back to the field, I was able to talk to his uh, coaches down in Richmond, his uh, his head coach, as well as his goalkeeper coach to, to find out who Matt Turner is and what type of player Arsenal is getting. We we know, but like, you know, to think about what his time in Richmond was exciting and they gave some good information and some good stories. And I also have an interview with a former Revolution player uh, that I should be releasing in the next couple of weeks. Uh, he gave me. Uh, about 30 minutes today, which I was very grateful for. Um, so re- really good information and stuff coming from him. Uh, and as always, feel free to, to tweet at me and get in the conversation. We like to do uh, spaces before the games. So hopefully you can join us uh, there. 
I, when you were saying you had an article and you spoke to Matt Turner's, I was really, uh, I, for a moment, I thought you were just pulling a joke on us and you were going to say you spoke to Matt, uh, Matt Turner's uh, podiatrist. Uh, but uh, you ended up saying coach, uh, and it was actually a very serious uh, comment. So I appreciate uh, you uh, trying to move on from this frostbite. Game. And I promise our listeners, we will never talk about frostbite again. Uh, but you can uh, read a previous article on the Bent Musket that I posted earlier this week. If you did not hear my interview uh, with Nico Calabria of the U.S. amputee soccer team, the New England Revolution amputee soccer team, uh, if you don't have the time to go back and listen to that interview, I posted some key quotes in the story about how the team came about uh, and their fundraising for the 2022 Amputee World Cup. And so uh, there's a lot of information in there about how you can help and how you can donate. So please take a moment and read that article. I'd appreciate it if you went back and listened to the full interview. It was very powerful. I really appreciate Nico coming on the podcast uh, and speaking with us and telling us the story uh, of the amputee soccer team so and hopefully if you went to the revolution game you stayed in your seats for halftime uh, i heard they put on a show so that about does it for us you can follow us on twitter at revolution recap and follow our revolution recap instagram and facebook pages be sure to follow the bent musket on twitter at the bent musket and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage and please also be sure to check out our sponsor galasso kits and use our promo code revs recap for 15 percent off your order make sure you are subscribed to itunes or wherever you're listening and if you could please rate and review us five stars that is greatly appreciated we will be back next week after the revs play down south to face inner miami i'm on vacation chris Valucas will be hosting that episode hopefully it's with a win uh, until then thank you everyone for listening and go revs for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.